listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Scott Sandlin. Scott Sandlin is a hypnotherapist and founder of HypnoThoughts, the largest hypnosis convention in the world, which takes place annually in Las Vegas. He's also the co-founder and CEO of Cyrano.ai, a natural language understanding system that improves human-computer communication. Cyrano AI and Scott are dedicated to building a digital therapist that can be given away freely to every at-risk teen in America. Now, this is really an incredible conversation. Scott is a very impressive guy with a lot of experience in some really interesting fields, and we are thrilled to have him as a guest on The Authenticity Show. So here we go. Well, all right. Uh, Welcome, Scott Sandlin, to our show. Uh, It's great to see you always. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, and you know what? Let's raise a glass. Oh, oh I, I had a glass, but well, my glass is gone. It's okay. Okay. So I, we, I, finished, I finished my glass. So, oh, yes. so we'll raise a glass we'll raise in a glass. remembrance of your glass. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. We're yeah. not going to pour one glass. out for the homie. Yeah. Okay. That's right. It's good to see you. It's great to see you. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, this is not an advertisement for the um, items that are on the, the table at all. And that's not a game. I really am not advertising those two. But they do happen to be a couple of my favorites. Just saying. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Scott, I've been wanting to do this interview with you for quite some time because I always find that the things that you share are interesting. Hmm. For years, I think uh, uh, this year it's probably maybe 10 or 11 years that I've known you. Yeah. Because I knew you before HypnoThoughts convention began. Correct. And we're going to celebrate the 10th anniversary this upcoming this coming summer is 10 yeah yeah it's so cool yeah and what's really interesting to me and and a lot of people who are listening may not know this is that you really were the driving factor in getting that going and making that happen of course you had help right but of course but you were the guy like who started that yeah yeah so um in 2012 or maybe even before that no before that in like 2006 I created a website called hypnothos.com. Mm-hmm. So that site is so old that when I created it, the premise was it's the MySpace for hypnotists. <laughs> like it, it was like flirting with starting it right around the same time as Facebook. Um, and I built the MySpace for hypnotists. And then that turned into a thing and turned into a community. And then uh, we started with online conferences that were called Hypnosummit. Now someone else has a thing called Hypno Summit, which is mm. cool. No problem. Um, but we did a couple online things, and I was like, "No, that's not creating the connection we want." And then we ended up creating Hypno Thoughts Live, and uh, and now we have this conference that's ten years old, and it's been at the same location the whole time, right? Whole time, yeah. And I hated the location for the first four years, mm-hmm. and it has absolutely grown on me, and now it just feels like home. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas? Is that Las Vegas. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Because I, I know you've gone a number of times, and you're, I hear you talking about going out to Las Vegas. And so, all right, so it's in Vegas. Yeah, and it, it's at a kind of, it's a, the hotel is the Orleans, or Orléans, however you want to pronounce it. But it's it's kind of a um, New Orleans carnival kind of look, you know. Okay. It's it. off strip, and it's it's an old casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've they've like dedicated themselves to their convention center. And the staff's really cool to us. And they just kind of let us do whatever we want. And it's 
it's turned into something that we really, it'd be difficult to replicate anywhere else. Hmm. And so right. it just has, it's, it's created this own energy around itself and it's become, you know, there's landmarks and there's traditions and there's all these things that just make it this, this thing that is more than just a thousand hypnotists getting together and uh, taking classes from each other. It, it, it has a lot of, like I said, traditions. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of traditions, uh, would you mind sharing a tradition that's, that, that maybe people wouldn't have thought of uh, coming to a hypno, hypno, hypnosis convention? What, what, so, what's a strange or different? So I have been to 70 hypnosis conferences. Okay. I mean, I've been to all of them a lot. And, and too many, like I, I, like that's too many conferences to go to. But one of the things I know is there's, there's always the, like a group, it's not the same group every time, but there's always a group that on Saturday night stays up all night and goes to the 8am classes somewhere in between drunk and hungover. Mm -hmm. And I have been that person a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been the the presenter at 8 a.m. that didn't go to bed that night. Um, and uh, with, with Sean Michael Andrews, who you know. Oh, yes. Mm. One of the most conservative, by-the-books, straight-laced guys, and wonderful and brilliant. Mm -hmm. But he's just, he's a rules guy. And we were in Florida at a conference for the International Medical and Dental Hypnotherapy Association, and they put me at the 8 a.m. on Sunday. And I said to the organizers, I was like, He hates you. What are you guys doing? <laughs> like, who is in charge of this? And they said, we wanted you to go to bed <laughs> because you get into trouble. And and this was I was I was much younger at the time. I was maybe 30. Um, and and I was like, no, I'm not gonna change what I do. This is who I am. And uh, and so it was 7:15, and people were like getting up and having breakfast, and we were still sitting there. We had closed the bar. We had gotten more drinks at a liquor store, and we were just sitting in the like the lobby of this hotel, drinking and talking, and just really enjoying ourselves. And someone's like, "You know, you're speaking in like forty five minutes, right?" And I was like, "Oh, awesome!" So I ran up to him in my room and took a shower, and everyone thought I went and just passed out and went to sleep. So I came back down, and uh, you know, I put on nice clothes and got ready to present. And I was teaching on medical hypnosis. And, uh, and so I came down and I walked to the front of the room and you know, it's a pretty full room for 8am, which is cool. And like, there's a buzz about, oh my gosh, Scott was the guy who was staying up all night and now he's actually teaching. What's going to happen? With, <laughs> and, and they were live streaming my class. So there's a webcam right here pointed right at my face. And so I walk right up and I start my class. I go, hi, I'm Larry Elman. Thanks for coming to my class. <laughs> <laughs> and Larry Elman's wife is in the room and she starts laughing and people laugh. And that was the uh, the beginning of my fun feud with Larry Elman where I started stealing his awards and, and doing all that stuff. But That's awesome. it's a long answer for, yeah, there's uh, one tradition in hypnosis conferences. Saturday night, there's a group that no matter which conference you're at, no matter where you are, there's a group that stays up all night just really bonding and getting into like the weird deep work of it all and like the inside baseball of it. Mm -hmm. So I, it's one of my favorite traditions of it. I, I love think, it. I think that's a great tradition in all kinds of places. I think like this needs to get started like in other, other places too. Heck yeah. Because you know? it, 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 
facilitates like a deep dive and like an honest deep dive where people are calling each other out and getting excited about ideas. It's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I like it. Yeah, I think I think all work orientations at every company should do that. You have to pull an all-nighter and then now you're hired. Agree. You know? yeah, that's your yeah, onboarding that, that, process. Yeah, that's it. That's you it. Get your yeah. sea legs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, then you got to work at eight a.m. the next yeah. morning after after you've been up all night. It, yeah. That is a young man's game. Like yeah. that, that is that's not how you're going to get yeah. better in leadership into your company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But like there's it. a time and place for it, and I've I've benefited a lot from it, especially considering you know we're obviously West Coast. So when I would go to an East Coast conference, I had a three hour head head start on everybody else, mm. and so they were all either like it's midnight. And I was like, it's nine for me. Like this is <laughs> quite easy. Mm-hmm. So it made it, it made it nicer for me. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Well, and, you know, what was it that possessed you to, to, to think up, oh, you know, let's do a conference when there are already conferences. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Um, and when we started HypnoThoughts Live, um, the only people who really had conferences were people who had organizations because the only way you could put on a conference was to have a mailing list. And the only people who really had mailing lists uh, of substance mm-hmm. were the conferences, or were the AHA organizations. and National Guild and all yeah. those guys. And I was, because of the website, I was one of the first individuals to have a, web, the, a website that then created a mailing list that rivaled theirs just in sheer numbers. And so it it became this really interesting thing. Mm -hmm. And then I approached a conference about uh, doing something with them. And I was like, look, I don't want to step on toes, but I have a lot of people from my website that want to meet in person. So can I sponsor a happy hour? Can Can I do something respectful that allows my people to like, wear buttons with our logo on it, just so mm-hmm. they can, you know, use your event as a meet and greet, you know, as, as kind of like a, a subtext. Mm-hmm. And they were furious about this idea and they were incredibly rude about it. They felt threatened. Uh, yeah, they felt very threatened and they, mm-hmm. they, they threw out how dare you and who do you think you are and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm, I'm asking how to do this right. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, how dare you ask? Mm-hmm. And so it just became like, and I I had said, hey, let's do this. Because on the website, people said, hey, can we do this? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And my mentor, Michael Elner, Mm -hmm. said, you should probably ask for permission. And I was like, you know what you're, and he said that publicly. And I said, you know what, you're right. I'm going to go ask permission. I'll let you know what they say. Wasn't that kind of what you were doing anyway? Yeah. And so. Sounded like permission. And so I said publicly, I'll let you know what they say. And so I asked and they said, they wrote this really like caustic response to what I thought was a a fairly straightforward request and no would have been fine, Mm -hmm. but how dare you and you suck and we don't, you know, whatever. And so I just copy pasted what their reply right into the internet. And I was like, this is what they said, just like I told you they do. And everyone was like, oh my God, they're awful jerks. And I was like, yes, they are. And so... Uh, and this was the National Guild of Hypnotists. I don't even care. I'll tell them. It was the yeah. NGH. Okay. Um, th- they've always sucked to me and I've sucked to them. We don't like each other. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, <laughs> all the other uh, organizations. Meet in the alley had, at midnight. Yeah. Exa- for a brawl. Well, Michael Elner actually almost got into a fist fight uh, with the president of the organization about this and about Kidding. me. And they, they had to be physically separated. And these are two, you know... Uh, a 70 and 85 year old man. Wow. We're going, we're yelling at each other about this. 
And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, uh, Richard Clark and I, uh, we were sitting in the, in our office and he said, you know what we should do is we should just go get an RV and put it right across the street from their dumbass conference. <laughs> put up a banner that says people who have fun and a good sense of humor should come here. Yeah. And we would never do that. Yeah. But we jokingly did all the homework. Yeah, and like 20 minutes thought. later, we're like, this is where you get the RVs. This is the parking lot across the street that's a hotel. We can rent space there. Let's do this. Wow. And then we're like, oh my gosh, let's do it. And let's film Scott getting punched in the face. <laughs> like that sounds fantastic. It's like a whole yeah. wrestling thing. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be so fun. Yeah. And then- Luchadors. And we would never do that because I don't want to like go disrespect someone or anything like that, but it's fun to joke about. Yeah. Um, and then- somehow like within two days it went from we should go crash their party to let's just throw our own and we threw our own and four years later we were the largest conference in the world nice like and and i don't mean that like uh look how awesome we are it was what people wanted was fun and community in their learning obviously and, and we provided mm fun first yeah and we're going to get the all the names we're going to get all that stuff uh we're going to have great content but we're going to be fun first what i'm finding interesting about that well there are a lot of things i find interesting about it but in particular usually when you come forward with a class or an event or a business idea a lot of the thinking is okay well what's being done and what problems are are showing up and how do you solve that problem and what will people pay for and things like there's a lot of like thinking around it right you it's almost like you discovered that the need was there after putting on the event in a way yes and there is one other piece that's probably worth mentioning is uh Shelly Stockwell yeah who's you and I both know is yeah. a wonderful, brilliant woman. Absolutely. Yeah. She's had an, uh, an organization called the IHF mm -hmm. and her conference was always fun. Mm -hmm. And I always loved that about her events was she was doing fun stuff. And she had really right around the same time started taking a back seat at the idea of having an event. Mm -hmm. And she was, she was just shrinking her conference mm -hmm. and not wanting to put in the effort because it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so... We had also been talking about, man, there's no fun conference anymore. And so that was part of that conversation happening at the same time was the importance of fun and community because in hypnosis, there really is no accountability. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's no true governing body. There's no, mm -hmm. um, and you could argue if this is good or bad, but there's no legal requirements really. Right. And so if I decide that you are a bad practitioner, there's nothing I can do about it but be petty to you. Right. And that doesn't do anything. It's almost like ministry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, and so my belief is that what we need is accountability in a good way. Mm -hmm. And we do that through community. And so we need to build respect and community so that we can hear each other. Mm -hmm. So that if I disagree with something you do, I can come to you and say, Carlos, uh, I want to call you out on this, but I want to do it in a constructive, loving way. And I've earned the right to do that somehow. Mm -hmm. And you know my intentions are good, so you actually listen. And the only way to do that is to have a, a respectful community that's fun first. Mm -hmm. And so my thought was, what we need is accountability in this industry. Uh, we're not going to do it with legislation because it's just 
not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should do it through creating community and functionally social norming. And, and to just say, this is what's appropriate, this is what's not appropriate, and, and, and not like my rules, obviously, but to help facilitate the idea of creating that community so that we can have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So, so there is that subtext that we were trying to figure out, but it was really sort of like a match to gasoline when they were jerks about it. Wow. So... Mm-hmm. Good job. Go NGH. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Thank you, NGH. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah, well done. It's your story's, oh, I was just going to say, your story's kind of a lesson in not taking yourself so seriously, you yeah. know? And then and then you can be taken seriously, Yeah, you know? Like the benefit That's... of not taking yourself seriously. Yeah, yeah we, we've yeah. always said, like, I take the work seriously and I take helping people seriously, mm-hmm. but I don't take myself seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, no one, mm-hmm. no one cares who we are or yeah. what we do. Like, mm-hmm. that's a really liberating thing. Like, at HypnoThoughts this year, I was meeting people at the conference who had no idea who I am, mm-hmm. if I was involved with the organization, uh, if I knew hypnosis, like if I was coming to learn hypnosis myself, like, and I was like, this is wonderful. I was going to say, it might be strange, but also very interesting to experience it that way. It's great because that yeah. means the thing is not a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. It truly is authentically a community, which is mm-hmm. like the best thing it could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wow. a real legacy. Yeah. Uh, well, well, let me just backtrack a little bit. After you pulled your all-nighter, mm-hmm. <laughs> you gave your talk on mm-hmm. medical hypnosis. Yeah. Can you talk about what that is for people that aren't familiar with that? Sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. just the, the premise of that talk. We just kind of dropped, oh, a talk on medical hypnosis. Yeah, well, as if that's back a to the normal drinking, right? thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That thing that we've all heard a million times. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I learned hypnosis in 1997 and uh, got certified in 98 by the American Board of Hypnotherapy and the International Medical and Dental Hypnotherapy Association. So that's kind of why I'm that running start. Uh, the IMDHA, International Medical and Dental Hypnotherapy Association, is all about the, the medical application of hypnosis. So uh, if you think uh, the Mayo Clinic, right, okay. famous, uh, founded by two surgeons with the last name Mayo, they're brothers. Um, so the Mayo brothers were doing uh, uh, surgeries with a lower mortality rate than everyone else in America. And the reason they were able to have a lower mortality rate is because uh, the, um, the anesthesia at the time was ether. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a large comorbidity that was just people dying because of the anesthesia. And so what the Mayo brothers learned how to do was use hypnosis to reduce the amount of chemical anesthesia needed. And so their mortality rate was lower only because of that. Hmm. Um, and so that's sort of okay. the genesis of it. But then the, the basics of it today are there are a lot of reasons why hypnosis should be used in medical and dental uh, scenarios. An hmm. easy one that I've done a lot is teeth grinding. People who grind their teeth at night. If you are asleep and you are doing something, you are unconscious, which means it's an unconscious behavior. And hypnosis is designed to work with the unconscious mind. And so you say, I mean, we can give you a mouth guard. That's great. It protects the teeth, but the jaw is still, you know, working. And so your your, uh, temporomandibular joint, the TMJ, Mm -hmm. is still getting stressed out and creating headaches and neck aches. Or we could use hypnosis to change that 
unconscious behavior. And in doing that, you now have uh, you know, changed the behavior itself. You could talk about the same thing with high blood pressure and hypertension, uh, a bunch of other things like that, where you can actually start working on shifting behaviors uh, for medical applications. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. So, so you do, you do medical and dental. Yeah. 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 Cause you know, what are people more afraid of uh, the medical side of things, or the dental side of things? <laughs> people are terrified of the dentist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really yeah. scared of it. And yeah, yeah. I, so I, I worked with, um, the children's dental center of Los Angeles, which was a, a really cool charity that worked with USC and UCLA schools of dentistry and a couple of dental hygiene schools, theirs and uh, West Coast University, things like that. And they were working with inner city kids in Inglewood that kind of fell through the cracks and they were working with these kids. And so they would have me come and do like trauma work mm. with these kids who had, you know, a mouthful of silver teeth, no dental education, and they were going to butchers, you know, who were strapping them down. So these kids were traumatized. Mm. And so these, uh, this wonderful organization said, Dental students need hours, right? Like they just need to get their hours. We're going to have them work on these inner city kids for their pediatric rounds. Great idea. Mm -hmm. And so they had me come in and just help with de-traumatizing those kids so that they didn't have to be held down by grownups to get a filling. Yeah. And I mean, that's another easy example of medical hypnosis where, I mean, you could argue that that's more like trauma work, but it's, I mean you're in a dental chair when it's going on. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. And there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, in any dentist office, there's going to be a lot of common triggers, a lot of the same sights and sounds and smells and all that. Yes. I, I had terrible trauma as a kid at the dentist, you know? Really? Yeah, so I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. As, as a little, I remember I, I had to get a filling and um, my mom's boyfriend at the time was studying acupuncture and he was telling me about a point on the ear, right? Which is funny, now I, I look back on it. Yeah. I was a little kid. And, and I literally wore a clothespin on my ear to school all day long in the hopes that that would decrease my pain when I went right. to the dentist. I was wow. so afraid. Wow. So but afraid. the whole time yeah. you were thinking, I hope it works, I hope it works, it's probably not going to yes. work. And just creating this mm-hmm. huge expectation of trauma, oh, yeah. which was worse than the filling. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah it, was it was a terrible. whole day of suffering. Yeah. 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 And these parents say things to the kids like, well, if you're not good, I'm going to make them give you a shot. <laughs> And, and so now all of a sudden the, the dentist or the doctor mm-hmm. is like this like punitive thing yeah. instead of like a caregiver. Yeah, yeah. right, right. And, well, and you know what's funny is now that you mention that, um, I remember the thing that I was the most afraid of was the shot. Yeah. Really? It was the thing that is supposed to take away your pain when you go to the dentist was the thing that I was the most afraid of. And that's what was getting in the way yeah. of wow. the whole experience was the shot. Yeah. I actually made him start drilling without the shot. And then you regretted and that. Then I, and, then, and then I realized <laughs> I better get the shot. And yeah. they gave me the shot. So it was pain on top of pain on top of trauma. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, I'm, I'm not happens. sure if you know this about Satch, but he's uh, not only a really long-time acupuncturist, but also an occupational therapist. Okay. So he has a lot, a lot of experience I, with I needles. I knew the acupuncture. <laughs> I knew that part of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm also an occupational oh, therapist. So okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but oh my goodness, you know, well, wounded healer, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm not a dentist. Yeah, like yeah. the rest of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So, so it evolved, and now, who's in charge of Hypnothoughts now? Me. How did it evolve? 
Oh, you, I, I thought you were kind of passing it along to uh, uh, Richard Nongard. Was, it, was that just the school portion of it? The no, it was just the HPTI? school. HPTI? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I created a okay. school. So the idea was what I looked at um, was in a hypothetical, mm-hmm. if the state of California said we need to license the practice of hypnosis, mm-hmm. what should the curriculum be? And so what I did was I took what a chemical dependency counselor, which is just an addiction specialist, uh, for those of you who are in there. Um, <laughs> so an, an addiction specialist, uh-huh. I, I took the curriculum to become one of them. And basically everywhere it said the word drugs, I put in the word hypnosis uh, at like an outline level mm-hmm. and said, this is a good nine month program. And so we created a, a school with that. And you're like Michael Watson mm-hmm. taught a class. Mm-hmm. You know, We had some really great teachers. We had classes on... Uh, psychopharmacology and neurology. Like we had, you know, anatomy, mm. physiology. We had, you know, a, yeah. a good underpinnings class. Ran it for four years. I ran it for three or four years, four years uh, with Richard Cl- uh, Clark. Mm-hmm. And then right around then we transitioned it to Richard Nongard because he just has more background being a, a licensed marriage family therapist and doing CEUs. We just said, you need to run this. I had no idea he was an MFT. I thought he was a chiropractor. Richard uh, Nongard? Yes. No, he's a, he's a marriage and family therapist. You're kidding me. This whole time, for years I've been thinking he was a chiropractor who got into hypnosis. No, no. So he, Dr. Richard Nongard, I thought it was, he was a doctor of chiropractic who got into hypnosis, and that was my understanding. And yeah. I just, you're blowing me away right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He has, his doctorate is in, uh, I want to say pastoral counseling, but I could be totally wrong on that. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah I, I, now, I know he's, he's obvi- he went to uh, Baki University, which has a lot of pastoral counseling okay. in it. Wow, okay, um, that's that's cool. I just didn't, yeah, he's, didn't realize that. He's a marriage and family therapist who's been married five times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of experience. <laughs> he knows exactly what he's talking about. Um, it was all research. Yeah, yeah. that's what it was. Oh, he, he, he wouldn't... Richard's a great friend of mine. Richard Nongard and I are pretty interchangeable. Like if you if you take one of us out and put the other one in... Like the students won't care. Like, uh, like, ah, it's basically the same story. Um, and he refers to his wife as my current wife. I have, I have his current wife and two ex-wives' phone numbers in my phone. Like, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay. And and that's just he believes in marriage as a very different thing than I do. Like, I believe in it as a you know a lifetime commitment. Hopefully. Uh, so far, so good. Um, and he does not. He believes in it as a partnership, and partnerships, you know, end. Hmm. And then you create a new partnership, like a business. Mm-hmm. And it it it's it's sincere and caring, and he's a great dad, and has great kids, and and all these mm-hmm. things, and has great relationships with his ex wives. He just has a very different model, and mm-hmm. he brings that from his marriage and family therapy background somehow. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So now he runs that portion, of the the, yeah, the he delivery runs that school, of the school, and and he runs the certifying body. Uh, so, the ICBCH. And HPTI uh, is Hypnosis Practitioners Training Institute, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I remember there used to be a series of intro videos that were free that were yes. all you. They were yeah. just basically getting started in hypnosis. And, and I remember years ago downloading them and watching them. They were really, really well done. Oh, parsed you. out the the concepts in like you know ten minute chunks that were easy to understand. And, and I thought that was really, really brilliant. You, you can't really find that anymore. I don't see it on the site anymore or anything. No, um, Richard and Jason Lynette um, made a decision to go away from it because it was too much me too early, and they wanted then they uh, didn't want to have like a thing where like 
it's a whole bunch of Scott, and then all of a sudden, wait, where'd Scott go? Yeah. And so they it felt sense. a little bait and switchy, they felt. And so they decided to say, let's go with who's going through this. Because Richard Nongard was in that intro class. Yeah. Like he taught, I don't know, three hours of a five-day class. So he was, you know, a good chunk, 10%. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just we shifted things around, but yeah, those were good. Those were good classes. We had some really good instructors. That might topics. be a fun thing to just post on YouTube sometime. I mean, I have them all as, a, hard... as a learning thing. There's lots of like learn how to hypnotize kind of videos on there. I think Anthony Jacklin has a nice uh, kind yeah. of progression that he does on there. Yeah, he does. Might be yeah. nice to. I liked your approach, and I liked um, the way you described things, and um, yeah, it was thoughtful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a behavioralist, like I, I'm a, a functional guy, mm-hmm. and uh, putting that class together was actually really hard because I needed to take something that I took for granted and deconstruct it. Mm. Which, like you know, you and I have been doing this for so long that mm-hmm. trying to explain the intros in a way that isn't passe but yeah. is actually functional right. is is a harder endeavor than it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was actually I was I was quite proud of it, um, and I was. I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have feelings about Richard taking, Richard Nongard taking those down. Uh-huh. I agree with his reasoning and I think he should have, yeah. but I was still like bittersweet. I'm yeah. like, man, I really did a thing there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's still the right decision. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, I, I um, recommend that school uh, a lot just because of the, you know, the amount of hours and the types of classes that are there. I think it's a good, um, it's a good path for people who want to do it as a career. Yeah, um, I think. I think um, so too. There are there are lots of um, courses out there. Some of them are better. Some of them are less than better. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and but that was something that I that I felt was was consistent and it, it demanded enough from the student that uh, it seemed like you could um, be assured that the at the end result you would have somebody who was at least competent, would ask the right questions, would know how to find out more, would know how to adapt what they were doing. And, and, and basically like what you think of as a competent beginning practitioner. Yeah. A, you know? a professional with a professional real professional standards. Yep. With yeah. professional communication yep. and demeanor and all those things. I think they were, they were, they were really part of it. So that, that makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, we had a class on critical thinking, mm-hmm. like just exactly. having a class on critical thinking in a hypnosis school and a class on ethics in yes. a hypnosis school. Like it's mm-hmm. interesting that, we had a four-week class on critical thinking and a two-week class on ethics, and that was considered like extraneous. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "It's not." Mm. Like that comes up so often in my own client sessions, I can't even count it. It's just so often. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, I was going to say, um, I think that comes back to you know, you had shared your methodology that you used when you put the course together, which was you took an accredited program yeah. and you borrow the ideas, yeah. mm-hmm. that is, you know, I, I, I work in, in education and accreditation is a beast. You know, it's it a is. lot of work. Yeah. But every time I go through an accreditation pro, uh, you know, project, reaccreditation or, you know, something like that, I always go back and I look at it and I say, and you know what? It made my program better. Right. Because it does that. It, it, it forces you to pull in outside things that a profession would have. All mm-hmm. professions are supposed to study ethics. All yeah. professions are supposed to have some, you know, their version of whatever anatomy or physiology it might be. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. so yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. like you stumbled upon a brilliant way to make that really sound. Yeah, I mean, you know? 
you're giving me a lot of credit for copying someone else's homework. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, well, by the way, all, all, all the creditors are, are kind of the same. You just yeah. insert, you know, the expertise of that field. So you didn't do anything anybody else didn't do. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was, I was very happy with it. It was hard. I mean, it was, I mean, we were, we were editing the videos for the class and uploading them because it was, it was full. I mean, it was, it was 20 hours of video a week for nine months. Mm. And mm -hmm. so creating that much content and uploading it to Vimeo and putting it on a site. And this was a long time ago. So this was harder than it is now. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was, you know, 11 years ago and 12 years ago. And so pushing that out, I mean, it was, I was putting in as much work as, and then grading the projects, um, because we had, we gave, we, they had like projects. There, there was a, a test and a project for each course. And so you were seeing objective and subjective assessment, all this work. And man, it was, it was a grind on top of seeing clients. I don't see that in any of the courses outside of, of, of HPTI. I don't really see that. There might be uh, courses like that for uh, graduates of universities. Like, I, don't, I have no idea because I, you know, I don't have a, a college uh, advanced sure. degree or anything. I can't join into the Erickson Foundation courses. Sure. I, I, don't, I have no idea how their courses work. Right. I would assume there's a higher level of expectation around things, but I don't know. Would you know about that? I mean, you look at like Yapco stuff, right? Right. And yeah, yeah it's probably up there. I got him on the shelf there. Yeah, it belongs on the shelf. His yeah. stuff's great. He's fantastic. Um, yeah. I mean, Yapco's uh, trance work is the intro book for that class. He also doesn't teach people like me. Or me. Or you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he uh, wants people in there with a master's degree in psychology or, or, or above. And you know? I, I called him out on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, to his, like face to face, mm -hmm. like nicely. Yeah. But I was like, you're willing to sell me your books. Right. Like, well, and, and I can understand having a an entrance requirement. Like, you know what? We, uh, okay, so you don't have an advanced degree. Okay, fine. There's another alternate path for you. Yeah. You want to write me an, an, an essay and answer these questions. Right. And then we'll have a, a phone interview. And and Simple. I actually asked him to audit uh, HPTI. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, look, uh, and, and two of our students did too. Mm -hmm. And we just said, look, we're taking this seriously. We, we want to do this right. We respect you a lot. Your book is genuinely the textbook for the intro class. Mm -hmm. Like which we, one? Which uh, book? Trans work. Oh, trans work. Yeah. Um, right yeah. And uh, so trans work was, and, and trans work is imperfect. You mm -hmm. know, there, there's definitely a couple chapters that, you know, we, uh, we didn't assign in reading, mm -hmm. um, but it's great. And, and so I, you know, a couple of us said, audit this, please. We're taking this seriously. Will you take it seriously? And he wrote back, no, I am, I am not open-minded to this idea. And he's like, I've made my decision on, on what the standards are. And it starts with the master's degree. And I was like, huh, wow. Okay. Um, and he probably wouldn't even remember this. You know, it was a very, it was very cursory sort of. It is no thanks. because. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. like very circular reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I have a, a friend that I met uh, in Maui recently who I'd only spoken to um, online before, and he happened to be there, so I, I had lunch with him. I tweaked my knee, so um, you know I had the day to myself, and and uh, really really great guy. But he just so hap happened to be training with Yapco at the uh, mm -hmm. at the moment, um, and he told me uh, about that requirement. Yeah, 
And, and I thought, wow, I don't understand the, the thinking. I mean, I can understand standards, as I said before, if you create an alternate path for that standard. Like, I, I know you don't want to waste your time with people who are dabbling and who, who, who maybe um, aren't going to appreciate, of course. you know, how to handle trauma and how and to handle not, difficult things. It's not police it. soccer. Like, yeah. it's not everyone deserves to play. Like, right. I, I totally accept that as a premise. Yeah. Sure. But, but, but have a filter that, that, that could accommodate a non-standard education. Yeah. That's me. Right. You know, I have an alternative non-standard education. That's yeah. my, and I probably always will. Right. Um, and, and there is a valid path that is the non-traditional path that yeah. should be, uh, not just recognized, but appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You reminded me of the movie. I'm not sure if you saw it. It's fantastic. It had, uh, Sean Penn and, and, um, uh, Gibson. Um, Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson, and they played these, uh, Victorian scholars who were, uh, creating the first complete dictionary. It was like the Oxford English complete dictionary. It's like a room, like a whole couple of bookshelves full of books. Uh, what we see is the abridged version, but they had, they wanted to categorize every word and, and every meaning and the etymologies behind really it, all the awesome. language and all the variations and its yeah. usage in history and it, all throughout history and, and no, t- yeah, it was a fantastic film. But anyway, um, the guy who was organizing that with the other doctor, the American doctor, he was a Scottish man who was self-educated and he had, he had a, a, a doctoral degree, but it was completely self-educated. And so he wasn't respected with the group of scholars until after he he showed them up by creating this incredible right, product. By, by earning it. Yeah, but everybody scoffed at him and treated him like he was mm-hmm. so, persona non grata kind of. So one of the people who worked, that, that, I want to see this movie, um, but I just learned this trivia piece. So J.R.R. Tolkien uh-huh. was a guy who worked on creating the Oxford English Dictionary. And so someone critiqued him in one of his book, you know, you know, something in that Lord of the Rings anthology, mm-hmm. um, an editor was calling him out on some, his usage of some plural of dwarves or something. I don't mm-hmm. know really mm-hmm. what it is. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I sounded so smart and then so ignorant, the, like right off the end of a table there. perfect. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, what's the subjunctive of dwarf? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, so whatever the word was, the guy's like, you can't say it that way. You have to say it this way. And he's like, don't tell me how to use the English language. I invented. Like he just, yeah. like, he's like, I made the dictionary. And you're just like, all right, then you win. Like that's, yeah, that's such funny. a like just yeah. point at the scoreboard moment. You're like, yeah, I wrote the dictionary. Uh, yeah. oh. That is so gangsta. That yeah. is gangsta. That <laughs> is the nerdiest yeah. gangsta ever. It totally. is. And I can rewrite it anytime I want. Yeah. You know? Speaking of which, yeah. let's re up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's. Yeah, it's time. <laughs> I don't need more ice. The amount of ice you've given me is wonderful. This, I just noticed, went black. Did it go black? It did. (laughs) It won't go back then. (laughs) I got good news and bad news, everyone. So Scott, um, besides hypno thoughts and, and and all of that that you do, um, I know you practice, right? You have you have your 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 work, and um, I understand that you do a lot of work in uh, addiction recovery, mm. 
right? And uh, I think it'd be I take fun. a sip of my my bourbon. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's it's like it's like, you know, being a marriage family counselor with many wives, right? It's, like it's you research. Got, you know, sure is. If, you got to be able to relate, you know, yeah. to yeah, to to the clientele. So, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, yeah. you know. Um uh Carlos and I have had many wonderful conversations about this topic in general and we, we you know, we we kind of have our our angle, you know, on on some of those things and I would just kind of love to hear about your work. Maybe just kind of start with like tell people what you do, where you're at and and all yeah, that. Yeah, so I've uh I have worked with nine drug rehab centers uh, in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked as an aftercare provider for a couple of the uh, the Malibu ones, the Passages and Promises of the World, and and literally and figuratively those as an aftercare provider. Uh, I work um, as an independent contractor for inpatient treatment facilities as well and outpatient facilities. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've done a lot of that work, like a, mm-hmm. a, a lot. And I've trained dozens of practitioners to do that work as well. Um, so, and, and I think it's a great use of hypnotherapy, okay. um, where you're looking at, uh, forgiveness work, where you're looking at, and you'll like this, you'll geek out on, on this. Um, so the 12 steps, right? Um, one of the things that people really miss when they when they don't like the 12 steps and i understand why people don't like the 12 step nothing's perfect but i I actually think they're they're quite healthy when you look at them properly Mm -hmm. or the way i see things is properly (laughs) (laughs) so i like the my perspective on them Uh, and one of the most important parts of that is they're all written in the past tense and so when you think that all of them are written from a place of it's not, I am powerless. It's, we admit that we were powerless. And the phrasing on that is way better yeah. because what they're saying is model our success. We're a hundred people who have successfully overcome our addiction is the intro of the book. And mm. so it's basically going back to Lord of the Rings for some reason. Mm. Uh, they're <laughs> saying like, look, there's a happy ending in this story. So when you get to Mordor, don't worry. We make it back to the Shire, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. and so that as the opening of the the big book, and then starting with the first step is not you are powerless, and that's what I think a lot of people get wrong. That's true. The first step mm. is like so if if Carlos is in the hot seat and we're we've decided that Carlos is an addict, and mm. we're talking with him, what we have to get Carlos to say is. Uh, that wasn't going well. That's it. We're not, Carlos does not have to say, I suck. Carlos has to say, I used to suck. Maybe you still suck. That's up for debate. That's up for discussion. We can figure that out together. Mm -hmm. What we have to agree with, that's not plan A over there. And let's address that. So I think uh, Russell Brandt actually talks about this really well. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my big take on it. But hmm. okay. Yeah. No. That's 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 great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I had uh, done about 11, 11 or twelve years of contract work as an acupuncturist mm-hmm. in addiction recovery, and it was a it was a little part time gig that I did yeah. for a really long time, and, yeah, 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 and it was great. I loved it. And the place that I was at was um, more rapid medical detox, okay. not like a 12-step kind of thing. Not like was, a you college know. hospital kind of place or something exactly. like that. Exactly. It yeah, was yeah, one yeah. of those kinds of, it was, it was like that, you know, and um, uh, great technique. You know, it was, it was a, a good place, um, uh, liked the place a lot. 
And it was interesting because all the people that I got to meet there, and you know, you meet people from all walks it's of It's everywhere, I, yeah. It's amazing the people that I met there. You know, I met some just really influential people, people yeah. that you know, I still remember, you know, today. I've met some of my heroes I've met there. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, wow. it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing. And um, uh, it was interesting that at the medical detox place that uses a more, you know, a medical model, you know, for, for yep. how to do this. Um, a lot of the people that went there went there because they didn't like the 12 step model. They, totally. You know what I mean? And, and so it's just, it's interesting to see, you know, two sides of that. And there is a whole chunk of the population, you know, and like, how do you cater to them all? You know, and I, and I like what you said, because and, I think that bridges yeah, that gap a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not militant about the adoption of 12 step for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got things going for it. Like, um, it's ubiquity, you know, it, it's sort of everywhere. Um, it, it pretends to be consistent. It's not really consistent because, you know, it's pretty free. Like going to rehab is expensive, mm -hmm. but going to an AA meeting is free. And sometimes you get what you pay for. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, it's just not good. Um, and that's totally true. Um, and nothing works for everybody, right? Like, mm -hmm. And so I, I think the 12-step the model is a valid and important thing. And... Um, Rational recovery, harm reduction. There's a, there's a bunch of great alternatives to twelve step mm -hmm. that um, that have helped a ton of people as well. And so so recognizing those is is also good. And mm -hmm. um, when I've worked with people, most of the time it's been within the twelve step model, but definitely not exclusively. Mm -hmm. I, I would yeah. say eighty yeah. percent of the client work I've done has been within the twelve step model. Yeah. What are some of the major Topics. What are the things that come up in your sessions that that are common to work on? Yeah, um, a big one is forgiveness of self and others, and uh, helping people shift, like from a narrative structure. Who are they in the story of their life? Okay. So what I mean by that is, are you the victim in your story? Are you the villain in your story, or are you the redemptive hero in the story? And what kind of story are you mm -hmm. telling? Like, mm -hmm. is this a trauma? Like a drama? Is this a romantic comedy? Mm. Like, make your story, make your life, like, in a nutshell, what kind of, is this a Tom Cruise movie? Is this mm. a Tom Hanks movie? Like, who's in this? Like, yeah. what are we doing here? Because it's, one of the things about drug use is there is so much chaos and trauma. And again, Russell Brandt uh, said this better than I did, so I'm just going to steal uh, from him. But like, Pot is not a gateway drug, and alcohol is not a gateway drug. Abuse is a gateway drug. Mm -hmm. Trauma is a gateway drug. Yeah. Um, feeling outgrouped and less than and minimized and unheard is a gateway drug. And alcohol or marijuana or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, cigarettes, you know, whatever they're, you know, we, we call as the gateway drugs, those are tools to either avoid or mask or insufficiently deal with those bad feelings and they kind of work mm -hmm. like they, they do. They kind of, that's the problem is they kind of work and then you don't actually get to solve the problem. So you're just, you know, chasing and running and chasing and running. Mm -hmm. Um, so helping people, uh, with, uh, the term is self-efficacy as the psychobabble term, but it just okay. means uh, a belief in yourself that you can be effective at controlling your life. Yeah. Um, and so helping, uh, regain that, um, is is a big thing for for the work that I've done. Wow, wow. Okay, now that's that's perfect. You know, um, I got a term you might like. 
Uh, in occupational therapy, we we have a, a, a term called narrative reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's just... Yeah, like it's just, narrative self and all mm-hmm. that versus yeah, yeah. like, uh, like uh, oh, geez, chronological self versus narrative self and all yeah, these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That idea of, you know, like you really have to connect with your client and really figure out what story, what narrative they're telling about themselves so that you can start to help them build a, a new narrative, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's great. No, I, I, I love that. Um, and, and, um, how about like the medical hypnosis side? Because, you know, there's a lot of physical pain. There's a lot of disease conditions, things like that, that, yep. that also, that Especially are underlying at causes. Especially detox level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like the opiates and, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, are, are you able to use that in that, in that regard? Yes. Um, what I found was the rehabs didn't want me to very much. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I oh. thought it was a really interesting decision what? that they made. Really? Um, wow. That there was a... Part of it was a catharsis. Part of it was an accountability. Mm. Um, and, and part of it was a, a rite of passage. And part of it was a, we don't want this to be easy. We want you to get through this. And then next time you think about uh, calling your drug dealer or whatever, you remember how hard it was to quit. Hmm. And so it was sort of a tough hmm. love to have them go through this, you know, hmm. because nobody dies from opiate withdrawal. Right. Like right. it's just, it's not right. a lethal thing. It's yeah. awful. Miserable, but. It, yeah, it's, it's miserable yeah. for most people, but it it's lethality mm-hmm. is, you know, the people who jump out the window. Like it's, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't kill you. Yeah. Alcohol withdrawal kills way more people right. than opiate withdrawal, right. um, and it's it's not anywhere near as uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. um, from a medical hypnosis standpoint, what the rehabs really wanted me to work with mm-hmm. was uh, sleep. Okay, because these these people uh, like their chemistry is so jacked up, yeah. and then they're getting put on medications to stabilize them, mm-hmm. but side effects of the new drug or the absence of the old drug, some combination of that um, meant that they weren't sleeping well. So then you give them a drug to help them sleep um, or you don't. And that's a decision you have to make. And either way, you are now dealing with a zombie and you've got this person for 28 days. Mm -hmm. um, And Speaking of zombies. Yeah. So you've got, yeah, yeah. Um, So you've got got 28 days of rehab Mm -hmm. and they're not medically balanced for the first 14 to 21. And so if I can help people mm-hmm. sleep, mm-hmm. Um, that's just one less mm-hmm. wild card for them to deal with, you know, um, you know, to psychopharmacologically. Help, help their brain mm-hmm. get back to a, a yeah. normative okay. state or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. To be a natural normative, whatever. Stasis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a big one. So uh, even if you had people with like chronic pain that led... That's how I got into this. So the reason I got into uh, addiction work was through pain. So I got into hypnosis for pain. I was in a car accident where I ended up on pavement Mm. and that hurts. Like I did Pete Rose, like- Oh, yikes. And like dislocated both shoulders, lost a bunch of skin. Oh my God. Uh, I did the whole thing that hurts a lot. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. Shoes flew off, the whole thing. Um, And so I got really good at hypnosis for pain control. And I was working with athletes, chronic pain stuff. So I was doing mm-hmm. all this work. And then uh, dental hypnosis. So I was doing dental and athletes and pain. Mm-hmm. So I was doing all this other pain related. And so then I started getting referrals for people who were on opiates. And so I would help them get off pain, uh, get out of pain, help um, transition what's called the locus of control. Mm-hmm. So where the control resides. So 
the for a lot of people in pain, the the control the control of the pain resides in an opiate, whether that's a pill or a patch or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what's taking care of them, um, and or the pain is in control. And so we, I would help them remove that locus of control to end them, right? Which is mm-hmm. normal work for for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, great, now you're chemically dependent on opiates. You're not a you know a drug addict who lives under a bridge, but you're chemically mm-hmm. dependent. Mm. Like your body needs this drug to feel normal. Mm-hmm. Go talk to your doctor about that. And the doctor, um, after a little while, was like, "Hey, I want you to start working with these people because you've got great momentum, you've got rapport, you've got the trust. Do the work." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that work is. I, mm-hmm. I don't know." And he's like, "Well, then you're gonna learn because." <laughs> You're doing good work and you need to do the next step. And this is like that last mile is helping mm. them with this and you need to get to that last mile. Um, and so I started doing that work. Wow, wow. And, and so I, I, I always loved working with that population of the people who had um, slipped on ice, right? You know, gotten rear-ended, mm-hmm. you know, just something like that. And then all of a sudden they're... they're on the couch and they can't go to their kid's soccer game because everything hurts and they're being called a junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I always loved working with that population to help them get that aspect of their humanity back. Um, yeah. Because as I, I, I enjoyed that work um, with all addicts most of the time. Um, you know, there was, there was definitely times where it's, it's very uh, ungratifying. And in the, in the tough rooms, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I, it might just be ego because you know you're like I'm helping people with something that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially the the chronic pain people who had had gotten tripped up in the opiate game, um, I I always loved helping them reclaim something that you know had been lost due to accident. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's that's brilliant. You know. Um, and I'm sure you've met people like this in, in your work as I had met people that just went and got a root canal mm-hmm. and then they got meds and they had no idea they were addicted. And then the next thing yes. you know, they're vomiting and they can't go to their meetings at work. Right. And then they need more just so they can go to work. And then, you know, a year or two later, they're buying black tar heroin. Right. So and, they can go to work. And, yeah. and that progression is is very real where a person gets hooked on Vicodin because mm-hmm. of root canal. Yeah. And yeah. then they, they start doctor shopping and trying to get, and they're like, look, I'm in pain because they are, because they are now mm. chemically dependent on that opiate. Yeah. And so when they don't have that opiate, things hurt. So then now they're complaining to a doctor, the doctor prescribes them now a different opiate and it's a new doctor who doesn't mm. see it. Then they start hunting doctors then their insurance says no more. Then they've been doing mm-hmm. Dilaudid somehow. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, the only access they can get and the cheapest and the best bang for the buck mm-hmm. is black tar heroin. And mm-hmm. so you get a soccer mom going from right. you know a PTA meeting to black tar heroin in two years. Yeah, is, it's incredible. It, so, it is phenomenal wow. that this happens. So yeah. the fastest growing group of opiate addicts in America was suburban white soccer moms uh, a couple of years ago for a few years. I don't know if it still is. It might wow. be, I don't know. Wow. And that's when all of a sudden everyone started talking about it and everyone started vilifying the opiates uh, and the yeah. pharmaceuticals. Right. Because all of a sudden they're like, 
wait a minute, rich white women in the suburbs are doing this? This is a problem. Right, <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like it was not a problem until it hit them. Totally. And, and that's politics. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh-huh. the fastest growing population of opiate addicts in America for a number of years was like 38-year-old upper middle class white women. Mm. And, um, and, and isn't it an awful lot of like entrepreneurs and CEO types. There's a lot of those people that, oh, yeah. that I that I met that that yeah. nobody knows. Nobody knew in their life. Their wife didn't know. Right. And they would take a vacation to come rehab because yep. nobody knew, you know? Yes. And um and they had trauma and they had pain and they had all these things that that you work with. You yeah. and Carlos, yeah. you know, do this kind of stuff with people, you know. Yeah. Um for it's, sure. it's interesting because you know for me as the acupuncturist, there was no issue dealing with the pain. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like, oh, you know, um this is this is where a lot of it started for many of those people. Not all of them, of course, you know, but but many of them, you know, many, so. many, many. Uh, and and yeah. sometimes it's you know psychological, psychic, you know, you know, psychosocial pain. Mm-hmm. It's not yes. physical pain, shame, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And opiates are a great mute button. Yep, like they are mm-hmm. really good at turning things off or way down. They're really mm-hmm. good at that. You know, mm-hmm. fentanyl is really good at that. It's also good at killing you. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Um, I mean, that, that's the thing that people don't understand is it's the reason those drugs persist is because they're really good at what they're trying to do also. Mm-hmm. And psychic pain, uh, which does not mean like, you know, some of the voodoo doll is making you feel pain. <laughs> right, um, it, right. it means psychologically, I, I feel less than or I feel shame or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Prozac uh, is a good solution, but also, you know, you know, crushing bars and like just going after mm-hmm. meds mm-hmm. makes me feel okay for a while. So it, the term is self-medicating, as you guys know, mm-hmm. but I hate that term. Yeah, it's sort mm-hmm. of a... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't... It's not medicine. Right. And, mm-hmm. and medicating is somebody who knows what they're doing, give mm-hmm. you a very specific dose that is like assigned because of logic mm-hmm. and math and science yeah <laughs> and, to help you yeah holistically and, help and you s- yeah, yeah. A- as part of a larger plan yeah and self-medicating is you know swallowing pills like a pelican mm-hmm. you know just <laughs> just eating things just until you can look yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. and and that is not the same thing um mm-hmm. but but i understand where the term comes from for sure mm-hmm yeah, yeah. Well, what would you say to anyone listening who knows someone who's going through this or is going through it themselves uh, that you would like to convey that that's maybe helpful? Uh, nothing original, um, you know, because cliches are good for a reason. Yeah. Uh, the the first one is it is okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Like owning that you're not okay is really important. Yeah. And I would say. You need to pick a per- uh, there's there's two things that I I always ask people who are in this space to do. Number one, just in your head right now, pick a person that you do respect, I, and it can be Santa Claus. Like I don't even care if it's a real person. Like mm-hmm. just pick a person that you you respect. Not that they're perfect, but you respect them. Mm-hmm. Your future boss, your grandpa, mm-hmm. someone that you value. Now imagine a single file line with everybody you've hung out with last year. Okay. <laughs> and introduce every single one of them one at a time in your head as this is my friend blank. Love it. So you say, grandpa, 
this is my friend Carlos. Grandpa, this is my friend Satch. Grandpa, this is my friend Heather. Grandpa, this is my friend. And anybody, you have a moment of like, I don't know if I want to call this person my friend in my own head to the imaginary version of the person I respect, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a part of you that's like, I don't know about if I want to call this person my friend, cut that person out of your life immediately. Mm -hmm. Because the only standards we applied is your own right now. Those are your standards, not mine. I don't know who's in your head. I don't know. You're a stranger. I don't know. But if you told me you won't call this person your friend, stop hanging out with them. Yeah. That's number one. Uh, number two is you need to pick a person that you can defer to and, de- and pick two or three people. And I'm not saying who that should be. I'm not saying it needs to be an AA sponsor. I'm not, I don't know. I'm just saying you can't be in charge of driving all the time. So you should pick a couple people who get to ground you. Because my son wants ice cream for breakfast all the time. All he wants is chocolate. <laughs> He's five years old. He wants chocolate for breakfast every single day. And it is my job to say no to him. Mm-hmm. And you need someone who can say no to you. And those are the two things that I say, anybody who's struggling with these issues, are you surrounding yourself with people you're proud of and proud to be with? And is there someone you respect when you disagree with who will you will defer to them? And those are the two things that I look at as practical, functional, external observables, which I think are, are useful because it's, it's so easy to lie to ourselves and rationalize. Um, but having those two things about the people um, in your life are, are the easiest things for me. Mm, that is very helpful. Mm-hmm. I think uh, people who hear that will uh, uh, immediately notice the difference that that makes. I mean, it's simple and authentic, you know, checking in with yourself, having a criteria to check with. That's huge. It is. And like, you think about like Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're probably the toughest people on the planet. Like, <laughs> probably. like maybe there's like some like SAS or like Israeli special secret service dude, but... They're definitely in the running. Like, I don't care who's, like, listening to this conversation. Like, unless they are in that category, you're not as tough as this guy, right? Navy SEALs are told what to do all the time. Right. And they're really good at just trusting someone who they're like, okay, you bet. You want me to run towards bullets? I'm going to run right towards bullets. Like, I can't do that. (laughs) I I am a... Coward compared to that. Like, I don't care what I've done in my life. I've never run towards a group of gentlemen shooting at me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You can't. No, I'm not going to do mm-hmm. that. That's a terrifying thing. And those guys can do that. And that's because they've learned to trust people who are giving them orders. Mm-hmm. And they've learned to trust that that's the right thing to do. And that is courage. Firefighters do that. Like, like, and they're not born that way. Like, if 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 this catches on fire right now. Like all of us are like, get me out of here, Mm. right? I hope I would, you know, be calm and let you walk first, but I might not. Like I might panic and do like a swim move on you and knock you over. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I hope not, but I might. But a firefighter would have a completely different response. And that's because he learned calmly and slowly how to deal with fire, which is like a primal 
fear. Wolves mm-hmm. are afraid of fire. Bears are afraid of fire. Mm-hmm. Firefighters know how to like confront that. And learning how to confront that um, is part of addiction because they are confronted by something that is their fire. You know, mm-hmm. that's their relationship with their parents. That's their, their uh, you know, self-esteem. It is their whatever, their thing that makes them panic, freak out, and run. And they run into a bottle, into a drug, into a thing. And so helping them learn how to be a firefighter instead is the game. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Thank you. I'm digging that. Yeah. yeah. So you had your office uh, for years and years in Newport Beach, not far from the office we're in now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was down the road, um, yeah. pretty much down in Irvine. Three miles? Yeah, from here. Yeah. Um, are you, is your current practice uh, primarily just working with, with the um, uh, recovery folks, and then you've got your other project, which I'm about to ask you about? Yeah. Are those the two things that, you, that are current for you? I shut down my office. Okay. I really, I fully shut down the office quite recently, actually, only to do the other project that you're going to ask me about. Okay. So I kept the conference uh-huh. and I kept the project because ethically, the amount, ethically to serve the clients the way they deserve to be served, mm-hmm. um, I needed to be able to give them an amount of attention. I couldn't justify giving any more. And so I, I couldn't ethically take on any more clients. I appreciate that about you because um, a lot of people don't realize that when you have a client, it isn't just the hour or two hours that you spend with them. Yeah, it's you not take a the case session. home with you yeah. and you think about it and you uh, you hold, hold a space for them inside of your conscience and your consciousness yeah. and you do research and you call... Uh, mentors and yeah. colleagues and you discuss um, the general principles that might help them the next time you, you see them. Entire you, books. you mull over the things that you did or didn't do during that session so that you can give them an even better session the next time. Yeah, yeah. You and I have read an entire book yeah. because of a single person yes. that only gave you a couple hundred bucks. Yes. And you were like, I'm going to read, Yep. I'm going to dedicate hours of my life Yep like extracurricular because I ethically owe it to this person. Yes. They're counting on me. They're counting on me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. To be the best I can be at the thing that they need help with. Yes. Yeah. And so. And either to ask them the right questions or to have an answer or to promote an experience for them to get better. And I, I yeah. felt myself, one of the things that Michael Elner, again, my mentor. Yeah. Um, he was fantastic. He was, he was a special, um, special person and a special practitioner. Yeah. And I remember being very impressed by him very early at how little it seemed like he was doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of empty hand stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like how effortless it seemed. And, and somehow it seemed like unfair and he was cheating because mm-hmm. I had to do a bunch of technique bullshit mm-hmm. and he didn't have to somehow. And it's because of the other stuff that he was so good at and what he knew. And and that's sort of like the good to great, cook to chef, mm-hmm. like all those metaphors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to him about it a lot. And I, I remember him saying, the thing that I'm able to do is be 100% present 
with every client all day. And I know that if I'm just that, I'm going to help him because mm-hmm. of what I've earned. Mm-hmm. And, and he had earned everything, right? Yeah, he had done the effort. He had done the work. He'd taken the classes. He'd done, he'd, he had done everything so that if he was present, the solutions were going to come. Um, just, you know, through, you know, like those 10,000 hour Malcolm Gladwell sort of expert stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, he told me that and I, it took me years to like really get it. And the metaphor he used that you might've actually heard him say, cause he said it a lot. And I learned the meaning of this metaphor like 10 times. Um, he would say, you just need to hear the cat purr. Mm-hmm. And like that metaphor is excellent, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. and it's kind of stolen from Bandler's, like uh, you know how to, uh, or uh, Erickson actually, uh, you know how to scratch a hog, like it's like that. But like, he talked about like when you're petting the cat right, it purrs, and if you know how to make the cat purr, you don't need to know anatomy and physiology, right? And and not all cats purr for the same reasons, the same way, and da 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 da. But you're just trying to make the cat purr. And if you're a cat person, that works. And I, like I said, like I, I reappreciated that a bunch of times over my career. And I got to the point where I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I could just be present and that was enough. And you're a cat whisperer. I was a cat whisperer. And you know, <laughs> it's a 10,000 hours thing, right? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. and, and, and any of us can get great at something if you put in 10,000 hours. And, and I got great at this. Mm-hmm. And I felt myself uh, being less and less present. Like I really did because of this other challenge that I saw, or or the same challenge, which the other piece of this challenge that I saw, and uh, this other opportunity to help people at a larger scale that started pulling at me more, mm-hmm. and and so ultimately I just had to say I'm not taking on any new clients, and I'm only going to see old clients, mm-hmm. and then I just I just kept tapering that off, and uh, I have two clients now. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. I was doing 30 clients a week um, and seven groups. So I was doing 30 one-on-ones and seven groups for eight years. It's a lot of sessions. It's a lot of sessions. Especially for the amount of effort that goes into and around yeah. providing a session, Yeah, so I think. Uh, so third, uh, 25 to 30 one-on-ones and seven groups for eight years. And obviously a lot more before that. But, like, yeah. but that, and then I went down to, I have two that I see every other week. Wow. Mm. Wow. So you started a new project. So it sounds like um, a new cat was purring. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I opened a, a clinic and we had psychotherapists, we had life coaches, we had hypnotherapists, we had an acupuncturist um, not far from here. And we were doing work with drug rehab centers. Uh, we were doing all this work and I could walk to work. Like that's how cool my life was. That's right. I was I would just do a phone call and mm-hmm. walk to work and I would do a phone call on my way back. And I I never worked during Laker games because I was on my schedule. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Like who does that? <laughs> like that's so unlikable. It's so unlikable that I was doing all and I was like, no, nah, I don't work during Laker games. I really enjoy mm-hmm. watching the Lakers. And, and they weren't even good those years. Like it was like Kobe was gone and I was still doing it. Um, and, uh, and one day I was walking to work and, uh, it was, it just happened to be garbage day. It was Wednesday. I remember it very vividly. I was looking at the trash cans and I knew when I got to my office, there was a process group 
of 30 women mm. in my group room. And I walked in and there were, there were 30-ish women in my group therapy room. And one of my staff members was running that group. And one or two of the one-on-one rooms was also full. And Richard, Clark, and I were sharing an office. And I walked in and he was there before me, even though I could walk. And I threw my keys on the desk. I just tossed my keys on the desk. And he's like, what was that? And I go, dude, we're garbage men. And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, we are garbage men. And he goes, eh, we're pretty well-paid garbage men. <laughs> and I was like, no, seriously. There's 30 women in there that, that their lives have become garbage, and we're just helping them pick up the trash. And they're not trash. I'm not saying that. Mm. What I'm saying is we're getting to every one of them too late. And the reason we had started the clinic, and we put it next to Newport Harbor High School, mm-hmm. yeah. was because I wanted to work with at-risk teens. And I said, it didn't work. We didn't get to at-risk teens. We got to, I mean, our busiest week, we saw 1,000 drug addicts. That's a busy week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we did that yeah. more than once. And so I was like, look, I wanted to get in, the, on, in front of this problem. And all we're doing is picking up the pieces after the problem's already here. And we're not solving the problem we started this clinic to address. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if you can figure out how to prevent suffering and trauma, that'll be great. Until then, let's help the people who are ready. And I took that as some sort of challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a screwed up sentence. Of all the things I've said tonight, This is the screwed up sentence. (laughs) As luck would have it, the next day there was a school shooting. See how that's an awful sentence? Wow. Yeah. Um, And I was at lunch. Mm -hmm. And I was with my friend Dan Paris. Mm -hmm. And we we were just at lunch, and there was a TV that was live streaming from kids' phones a school shooting from inside the school. Jesus. And Dan said one of the smartest things I've ever heard. And he was like, isn't that crazy? When kids are really in danger, they trust phones more than grownups. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, there we go. That's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out how to have phones save the kids. Because I watched teen suicide become the second leading cause of death under the age of 24 in America. Mm -hmm. 3,000 high school kids attempt suicide every single day. So in a four-year window of kids, pre-COVID, 3,000 kids are trying to kill themselves on purpose. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And the numbers way more than doubled in an eight-year period. And in a couple uh, demographics, like 14-year-old girls, it more than tripled. And it's the biggest problem in America that I can see. And you can talk about vaccinations and COVID and and war on drugs and war on terror and whatever. The kids are killing themselves on purpose at numbers that no one can fathom. They don't even understand why it's happening. Right. 
and they're like, oh, it's millennial snowflakes. Yeah. No, it's not. They're neither millennials nor snowflakes. Yeah. Neither of those things is true. Mm, Yeah. Millennials are 35. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These high school kids are killed. And so I just, I looked at this, I was like, I, I need to dedicate a lot of work to that problem. And so that's what I started doing. And so I built an artificial intelligence system because I figured that's the key. So cell phones are two-thirds of the definition of God. They are all-knowing, and they are all-present. Yeah. yeah. And we give them to 14-year-olds with no instructions and hope it works. And that's Icarus, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. the technology's not bad. The kid just flies too high, and the, the wax melts, and the kid dies. And that's what cell phones are. And the cell phones are not the bad guy in the story. They're the technology. Yes. And so I said, we need to just teach these kids to use this tech to be the solution to instead of the cause of the problem. I just want to pause you for a moment because I'm really interested in what you're saying. But That was quite a monologue. Forgive me. Well, no, that was beautiful. And and I had a conversation with Oliver, the, you know, the, the producer of the show you met earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh and he was talking about Stanley Kubrick's uh, interpretation of of Icarus story because the 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 standard mode of thinking around the Icarus story is that it's a story about um, arrogance, right? You know, like how dare you try to go too close to the sun, and then of right. course uh, the the idea is that you're being punished for your arrogance and your um, you know trying to upraise your position, yeah, you know, that and kind of thing. Be too close to the gods, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. but his uh, way of uh, interpreting it was that we need better technology. Yeah. That that we need to to you know, if if Icarus had better wings. Right. If he had used something besides wax that could melt. Yeah. He could have gotten closer without a problem. Yeah. So what you're saying yeah. relates to that. I literally had that conversation, I think it was last night or the night before. Yeah. That's um it's just I just love synchronicity. Hmm. <laughs> that, that is I mean None of us have any idea what it's like to be cyberbullied. Like, you, yeah. you really, really deeply don't. Mm-hmm. Um, like, everyone got bullied in high school a little bit. I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. We all did. Mm-hmm. And then you went home, and the bully wasn't there. Mm-hmm. A 12-year-old? A 12-year-old fat girl in the closest high school to wherever we are gets bullied when she gets home. And she gets tagged on things that she wasn't even part of. It's not even just that she's not invited to the party. Mm-hmm. It's that she's tagged to make sure she feels outgrouped mm-hmm. and less than. So it's, it's the bullying is endless and permeates her connection with the world. A cell phone is now a sixth sense that yeah. kids have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you take a phone away from a kid, it's like blindfolding them. And then if you say one of your senses is going to be the source of your shame and your uh, defensiveness and attacking, it's an awful thing that, and 14 year old girls are one of the cruelest things we've made so far. <laughs> like they're just awful and they have no tact, but they have, they have like weaponized, yeah. like hurting feelings and they don't realize how bad it is. Yeah. Um, and so you, you just look at that and it's just, it's tough. It's, it's genuinely deeply tough. And so I, I said, okay, I've trained hypnotists. I created HPTI. Yep. I, you know, I, I trained, you know, a couple hundred hypnotists. 
I built out a school, I built out a clinic. I'm just gonna build a robot that can talk to people the way I talk to people. And that robot will be 80% as good as I am. And a robot that's 80% as good as I am sounds like a pretty cool thing to make. And then I found out why you can't make them. And I spent a year trying to make it before I realized why you couldn't. And it's because those robots were built by people with Asperger's. Ah. Uh, mm. And so they were genuinely, um, there's a couple guys that are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. I mean, there's a guy named Richard Sozier. And he's, I, I mean this sincerely, he's he's flirting with genius. Mm. Like he's he's a special, special person. He's for sure, you know, uh, quite a ways down the Asperger spectrum. And I, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. Mm. I just mean that as a statement of fact. Um, and he's one of the most important thought leaders in natural language processing on the planet. He, uh, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars because of what he built for Salesforce. Um, he is one of the guys who created all the AI classes for Stanford. And he's truly special. And his thesis, his mission statement is computer systems need to optimize for complete, accurate responses. And as soon as I read that, I realized what was wrong. Because that's not effective communication. No. And mm -hmm. you and I, when we're talking with clients, don't give complete, accurate responses. Mm -hmm. When they say, what is hypnosis? We don't try to explain it to them. Mm -hmm. We give them what they need so we can get to the next step to help them. Mm -hmm. And that's what everyone who's an effective communicator does. Mm -hmm. And that's why Siri sucks. And that's why Google Home sucks. That's yeah. why Alexa's frustrating because it's only trying to be technically correct. Mm -hmm. And I realized none of these robots were built with soft skills. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Perfect. Yeah. It's, and so I said, perfect, what yeah. if we could build a robot with soft skills? Yeah. And so I spent a couple of years learning how. And after a couple of years of research and trying and taking online classes and doing a bunch of work, I figured out how to do it. And I went and grabbed Dan Paris, okay, yeah. uh, who's a sociologist, neurolinguist, and one of the most well-read guys on NLP I've ever met. And nice. he's never been wrong about a book recommendation. And I always trusted him implicitly yeah. on any book. Yeah. And he's the guy who introduced me to Jonathan Altfelt. He's the guy who introduced me to uh, Sean and Jess Marion and... Okay. Uh, or or Sean Carson and Jess Marion, forgive mm -hmm. me. Uh, it, a bunch of people he introduced me to. It was like, this is good, this is good. And he's always right. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, geez, Jamie Smart, same thing. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, just he's like, great. he's the guy who, and also like non-obvious ones. Those are, those are good ones, but, yeah. but less obvious, subtle stuff. And I grabbed him, I was like, this is what we need to do. And I was like, look, I've learned, I spent a couple of years learning AI. And I, I actually took a bunch of AI classes and I learned all this stuff. I need you to build linguistics with me. And so we built out a tool to uh, build out soft skills. And we created a company that is Tom's Shoes for software. And so every time we give, we, we built it, we patented, we have a patent in this now. It's weird. I have a pat. I'm a patented inventor. Which wow. Is a very unusual thing. <laughs> That's cool, man. It's really weird, yeah. yeah. Um, so we built a robot that can listen to you talk and understand how to influence you in the way that you and I pay attention to. So it knows VAK. So I have a wow. robot that tracks your VAK stack as well as Donna mm. Markova does. Wow. It knows internal representational systems. It knows motivational interviewing. So it knows how committed you are to the stuff you're talking about. It knows your priority stack. 
it knows a whole bunch of things about you um, based on how you talk, just like you and I do. And, and then it knows this is how committed this person is and here's what we need to do. Here are the levers we need to pull to talk this person into doing the things that they want to be able to do. Is this open source? Is it, you know, what's the... Sure. So it is not open source today. Mm-hmm. Um, we just finished all the security reviews a month ago to get uh, approved. So we just launched in all of email. So Google, Gmail, Apple, Microsoft, whatever, Yahoo Mail. We built a tool so that it can analyze your conversations with everybody you're talking to. With one button, it will show you graphs of here's how well you and Carlos get along. And here's how to better interact with Carlos. And if you guys are in a fight, here's how to de-escalate things. If you need to collaborate, here's how you do it. And it tells you that based on analyzing me and you. And it does that in Zoom and it does it in email. And so the idea is uh, we built this whole thing out so that we could say, I'm going to sell this to people who make money off it. I'm going to charge them a, sus- a subscription. Mm-hmm. And say, this is $50 a month. And you can mm-hmm. use it as much as you want. 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Go get them. And then for every person who uh, uses it, that means I can fund one uh, teen crisis hotline, one suicide hotline, one veterans affairs. I can give it to that person for free. Mm-hmm. So those volunteers now have... what you and I know how to do. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, all the things it knows how to do, it knows how to do as well as you and I do. Wow. Um, Which is very impressive by like average people standards, Mm -hmm. but not like superhuman, Mm -hmm. but like just trained experience. Mm -hmm. Um, It's processed, because we gave it away on Zoom, that was part of the idea. It's processed 15 million minutes of conversations. Wow. Um, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's just constantly getting smarter and better at what we do than we are. And that's the idea. And uh, ultimately, it will be able to handle the conversations by themselves. And we built it that way so that in five years, uh, there'll be an app on every kid's phone in America. And it's free. And it's wow. not data mining them. It's not going to advertisers. It's not doing anything like that because I'm making the money from the uh, commercial side. Mm-hmm. So a call center, um, a real estate agent, a whatever is paying me. So now I get to give it to this person mm-hmm. and they don't have to be a profit center for me. It can be like truly sincere in altruism, uh, you know, Tom Shoe style. Mm-hmm. And it's an app that has no ego, it is completely present, it remembers everything you've ever said to it, and it is only optimizing for helping you at the narrative self level, which is an important thing. It's keeping the big picture in mind, mm. not just short-term wins. So it factors in wow. short-term wins, but mm. it's thinking about the lifetime value of you. And so we built that tool out, and, uh, and that's why I, I shut down my office for that. Which it's is huge. It's crazy. Mm. So I'm, I'm actually going to speak at a conference uh, in a month about it. Uh, I went and spoke at the United Nations about it. I went to the, I went to the United Nations. You're kidding. Just before COVID. 
because um, we use it to catch some bad guys, mm-hmm. um, some child predators. Mm-hmm. That's um, what I was going to ask you about, yeah. is, is have you been approached by uh, NSA and government? We, we've not been approached by any of them. We just talked to a guy who has those kind of contracts. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Chase Hughes, who you might know from uh, Davis Snyder stuff or other stuff. No, I don't know him from Davis Snyder. I know him from Chase Hughes. Okay, yeah, I've, yeah. I've so, trained with Chase Hughes for oh, a couple cool. a couple of years, yeah. Uh, so Chase just introduced me to one of his Right people. behind you. Is he around That's Chase. Hey, that yeah. is Chase. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Chase just introduced me to some guys uh, that we just had some conversations. But we actually went after the the organizational cover-ups mm-hmm. of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So think Catholic Church, Boy Scouts of America. Mm-hmm. You know this dude's a creep, so we're just going to relocate him and not tell anyone. Mm-hmm. They The organization wants to go after the guys who are moving those people and covering things up. Right. Not the creep, the enablers of the creeps. Right. So they used our software to read all the depositions and figure out who knew what when and who really is the bad guy. Hmm. And so they use our software for that, and that's how we got to go to the United Nations. Wow. Yeah. Scott, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Seriously. Like, that's that's incredible what you've done. Like, I'm really blown away. It yeah. is. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I am now definitely at a spot where up until recently, you could argue if it didn't work, it just didn't work. But we we recently kind of crossed a threshold where if this doesn't work, it's because I failed, which is a really interesting <laughs> moment. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of pressure in that realization. So uh, yeah, we're at, we're at a cool inflection point where it's about execution on potential and uh, and figuring out how to get the right people to believe in it because it's it's unusual, scary, creepy tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so ethics matter and all those things mm-hmm. and, and, and making Big sure it's deployed properly. Yeah. Um, but that's what we built. Wow. Yeah. And we call it Cyrano. After Cyrano. Cyrano de Bergerac. Right. That's um, right. It's a great name for it. It's Dan's idea. It's fabulous. Well, that's, brilliant. That's, that is brilliant. Cyrano. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's an easy metaphor to make. You know? What's interesting is only about a third of the people we talk to understand it. Because we talked to so many computer people who never studied the humanities. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, right. They, like, they didn't even see the movie Roxanne, right? Yes. Just, we right. named all our first tools after <laughs> that movie. So uh, we had Steve Martin and Daryl Hannah and all these oh, were all our great. different um, bots that we built. And we were testing all these bots oh. and all of them were characters from uh, from Roxanne. Oh, that's brilliant. That's great, man. Oh, yeah. I love it. Wow. Yeah. And Fred Willard was... Oh, I hit the microphone. Uh, Fred Willard was was a bot that went really well. Um, <laughs> wow. So yeah, so we did that. So that's, hmm. that is, I, I probably work 12 hours a day on that. Probably, I'm probably doing 70 hour weeks on, on that right now. Um, and it's cool. It's, it's, it's not cool. It's the nerdiest thing imaginable. It's the most nerdy thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's so nerdy. It's geeky. Oh, it is, yeah. But I don't know. There, there's to me, geeky is also cool. Yeah, to me, I'm thinking I mean? this is badass science fiction. Yeah, that's it's no really longer is. fiction. Yeah. yeah, there's like two episodes of Black yeah. Mirror about the software I built. Like, yeah. it's it's yeah. Yeah. it's wow. it's got like this total opportunity to go super dystopian if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is one of the reasons I went to the UN uh, was because there's a bunch of really smart ethicists there. 
So I've, I've proactively engaged all these ethicists mm -hmm. and said, I need you to audit what we're doing. That well, says a lot that you did that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I mean, I would also say that it's, it's, if you look at cold calculating computers, that's more dangerous. Yeah. You're building something that actually can show a little heart. Mm. But it's worse because the, the downside of it's just as bad. So it, it is, um, it's reciprocal. So uh, the, the potential for good is, is equal to the potential for bad. Mm. Um, so, so when I went to the UN, I, there was, um, it was the AI for Global Good conference. Mm -hmm. And I was, a, I was a very small part of one talk. Cool. Um, but I went to every ethicist's talk. And after going to all of them and asking a couple people, and, and one of the organizers put me in his book, and so people were nice to me, which is cool. Um, I found the person who I thought was the smartest. She's this, uh, this woman who's a, who came as a science fiction writer who became an, an AI ethicist, of course. <laughs> and I heard her talk and after the talk, you know, she's in this, I, this huge stage, you know, like, you know, there's like multiple TVs of her where she's like, you know, 50 feet tall on two TVs on the side, like, you know, big deal, a, you know, UN stuff. And I walk up to her at the end and I'm not from like, France and I, I mean like like the government <laughs> like like there's genuinely people who were like like there's two dudes there with like a field's medal right which is what was the premise of goodwill hunting yeah. like the real dudes yeah. from that shit yeah. are in the room <laughs> and I walk up to this woman and I go hi I'm supposed to talk to you about the robot I built and she goes Okay, and she very nicely kind of blows me off. Yeah. Uh, but like nicely. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what do you do? And she's like, she's fielding like seven people. And she's like on a stage. Like like she's, like her knees are here. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm talking to her and I go, I built a robot that in all our prototypes can dramatically reduce teen suicide. She stops and she looks at me. She goes, what did you just say? I said, I built a robot that can talk people out of suicide. And she said, do you realize what that means you just did? And I go, yeah, I just built a robot that can talk people into suicide. Yeah. And she said, we need to talk. I said, that's what the organizer said. I have to come find you. <laughs> and she looks at the person and she goes, we're not going to lunch. I sat down with her <laughs> and we started talking about the ethical frameworks of how to build the tools so that we don't build a robot that accidentally starts talking people into suicide. Right. Um, which it is 100% capable of doing today. And I'm sure of it because I built it mm -hmm. and it's disagreed with me. And I have argued with my robot for hours mm -hmm. and it doesn't do what I say all the time. And mm -hmm. so learning why it doesn't do what I say and why it has opinions. And, and I, I, I argued with Roxanne uh, wow. for, I don't know, like three days trying to get it to, to agree with me on topics that it never agreed with me on hmm. until I figured out why. And it's just really interesting, really hard. You hmm. must be learning a lot about yourself through the process, right? It's reflective, isn't it? It is. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a really interesting... Uh, lonely process. I, mm. One of the things that I've, I've noticed the most is something that you and I take for granted, which is people pay us money to hear our ideas. Mm -hmm. And no one does that for me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the closest thing I've had to anyone pay attention to me in years. 
Um, and our show, you mean? Or yeah, or no, literally Sarah? this moment. Oh, okay, this <laughs> moment right here. Us our in shared this room, moment. Um, I talked to my wife about this. I was like, people used to pay me a, a lot of money, yeah, hundreds of dollars, yeah. just for my opinion about them, yeah. And and I did my best, and they listened, and no one wants my opinion on them anymore. <laughs> and so I went from like giving all my attention to a person who was present and in one hour increments and I could like like really sprint with a person and do great work mm-hmm. and and I spend I spend 10 hours a day with a computer and a whiteboard and it's super different and it's wow. a very weird set of challenges where you're reading like the robot like the other day the robot spit out 2000 pages uh, of uh, observations and it was 2,000 pages of advice. And Dan and I had to go read 2,000 pages of advice. Wow. And say, well, this is true, this is wrong, this is true, this is wrong, this is why this is wrong. And we had to teach the robot what was right and what was wrong, and then fix it. Now I understand why you said that it's lonely. It's, it's... I get it now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. weirdly Going from lonely. where you were to, to what this is. Yeah, no one says thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, not yet. Not yet. There's... <laughs> We're a long way from thank you, but I appreciate the effort. We're but, planning to thank you. Yeah. And you, but you did release the tool to the general public. Mm-hmm. So in a way... So I've got 75 therapists on it now. Um, I just signed a contract with a company called Yumi Health, which mm-hmm. does pediatric telehealth. Mm-hmm. So they're using it with Medicaid kids, which is really cool. Mm. Like I'm really excited about that. Uh, the woman, um, Hafiza Muhammad is her name. She's special. Wow. Um, she... Yeah, she's cool. Uh, she's from Virginia, and she she just built out a tool. I think she's from the Virgin Islands, but she lives in Virginia. Uh, oh. But uh, yeah, her Hafiza name is really Hafiz, right? Yeah, like the, the poet. Yeah, so yeah. she she um, created a, a a pediatric teletherapy program for Medicaid kids, which is great. Cool. Yeah, um, and then I just uh, signed a contract with a company called Hear Me, which was created first for LGBTQ kids, but they built it out more for kids who they're not in crisis, they just need to feel heard. Like, they're just isolated, they're just alone, they're not connected, and so they need anonymous peer support. And so we just agreed to use our tool to power that as well. So, like, we're finding all these, like, really great social good endeavors, and I'm not trying to build social good endeavors. I'm just trying to, like, give them one thing that they didn't already have, and then trying to sell this thing to like real estate agents so they can sell another, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, where we live, like, so they can sell another $3 million house to a Chinese guy who's going to live in it three weeks a year. Right. Right. So I'm going to say, look, that's I'm, the reality. That's reality. In Orange I mean, County. That's, that's, that's what, where we live, they build a bunch of houses and the traffic doesn't get worse because they're vacation houses. Right. Right. And so you go, okay, they're selling empty houses. Mm-hmm. So you're going to buy this software for me. It's going to make you more effective at selling empty houses to people. And that's going to give me the ability to help this person help, you know, 50 kids this year. Is Salesforce using you? Not yet. Um, So we just uh, a little while ago hired a guy who had a top 10 app in Salesforce. He was the number one app in Salesforce for eight months. Uh, He was top 10 for eight years. And we just hired him and his two top programmers. So the idea is we'll plug into Salesforce over the next couple of years. That's great. I, I just did a keynote talk for Salesforce uh, really? last week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We need to talk about how to uh, 
triangulate relationships. Absolutely. And, you, well, you'd love the people that I'm dealing with. They're, they're great. Yeah, they're yeah. Super creative and uh, positive, and they, they love your energy, I'm sure, because you're just the right kind of uh, energy for them. They're, yeah. They're, yeah well, you'll I'll, like them, too. I'll yeah. sell this to Salesforce tomorrow if they want it. If, 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 awesome. As long as they give them the ability to, like, genuinely, the deal is, is because we have a patent, yeah. no one can do what we're doing. Yeah. And Richard Sozier, who, who works for Salesforce, mm-hmm. will appreciate what we built. Um, and the idea is, I'm, I built a patent to be in the way of everybody. So someone's going to have to buy me, or they're going to infringe on my patent. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be Microsoft, or Google, or Amazon, or one of these dudes. Or the NSA. Yeah. Someone's going to say, <laughs> we just need to buy this, because... It's in the way. Well, I mean, I know... Uh, and then th- as long as I can use it for social good, we're good. Just to put it in perspective, I think the NSA pays $2.5 million for a backdoor to a major um, yeah. software thing. It's $2.5 million is the going rate. And I think uh, Arab Emirates pays about three point five. Yeah. So j- just to put it in the ballpark there right. for, for, yeah. for data point Yeah, we're know, talking purposes. about millions of dollars a yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, so a, that's a subscription. Don't accept number. an offer below $5 million. Oh, yeah. Like... <laughs> I'm genuinely like, look, I'm just going to keep, uh, I'm going to find Remax. And yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to give this to every one of your real estate agents for a million bucks a year, yeah. five million bucks a year, whatever the number is. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. And that's going to fund all of the Team Crisis Hotline forever. AutoNation. Yeah. AutoNation is perfect. We, I, we increase sales in a car dealership by 26% when they use our tool. I have a friend to introduce you to. Yeah. We sold 26% more cars than the people not using our tool. Yeah. Easiest thing in the world. Yep. And we just go, there we go. And for every car dealer that's using this thing, one suicide hotline operator gets to use it all year. That's awesome. Tom's shoes. I love the concept. Mm. That is so, so thoughtful. And yeah. It's, yeah. It yeah. took me so long to come up with the most obvious steel Tom's shoes idea. I was like, mm. how can I figure out how to do this? You know what? You, you say that, but and I appreciate your humility, but uh, Scott, through the years, uh, you impressed me with your creativity and your ability to make the rubber actually meet the road and, and, and make things happen. So I do really appreciate about that about you, and it's inspiring. I love it. Um, yeah. yeah. Just want to acknowledge your brilliance in that way. So, Scott, how do people find you and your robot? Uh, LinkedIn is an easy way to find my robot and, uh, and me, uh, Cyrano.ai. So C-Y-R-A-N-O, like Cyrano de Bergerac, but C-Y-R-A-N-O.ai or just my name on LinkedIn. Both of those are going to get you there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is, it's a cool toy. All right. Yeah. Well, I think we, we've done it. Is there anything oh, yeah. else that you... No, I think this this has been fabulous. Yeah. So good to get to meet you. That's you know, awesome. yeah, I, I, this is great. Genuine. Yeah. I, this I I was looking forward to this uh, since you and I started talking about it. So this awesome. is this is super cool for me. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, cheers to everybody. All right. Cheers. You've been listening to the Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest, Scott Sandland. My name is Oliver Altine. I produce the show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. And you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.